Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this topic. We thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we know that the gifts of the Spirit, they're not toys, they're tools. And so we ask that you would teach and train us to handle these things appropriately and ultimately to bring you glory. That's all we want. We're not asking to be powerful people that that look a certain way or or act spiritual. Lord, we want to be spiritual. We want to be Spirit-filled. And we want to flow in the things of the Spirit. We want to say the things that you're saying. We want to do the things that you call us to do. But we don't want to do it in a way that mishandles or misuses. And so would you teach us all about that through your word and through our gathering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, we've gone through so many topics around the issue of the prophetic ministry, so many so that uh, so many of these topics that you might have forgotten many of them. And I'm not going to remind you of all of those because you know where to get it. I've already told you. But we're coming down the hill fast, and I think it's really important in these last two weeks to focus on really building components. We want to be people that learn how to hear the Holy Spirit for others. And so what is he saying? And then how do I share what he is saying in a way that isn't super spiritual, but is truly spiritual? And that's what this is all about. Because if you're like me, you've encountered pretty much everything you can think of. You've seen the good, the bad, and the twice ugly. And so you're just trying to become spirit-filled people that can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, share prophetic words in an effective and beneficial way. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is all about. It's having the power of the Spirit to communicate effectively in the love of God, the power of God. God releases His power through the gifts. And so we've been talking about all these different things about the gift of prophecy, what a prophet is, and how that functions within the church, different protocols and principles and parameters. And so tonight I'm just focusing on sort of a practical element, really, as we kind of wrap this all up, and that is how do we grow in the prophetic gift? How do we grow in prophesying and sharing what we believe God is telling us for other people? And there are things that I think we can learn that will really help us. It'll help you, helps me. But it's important for us first to have what I'm calling a theology of growth. Now, if any of you are parents, you, you know this, that uh, when you first have a newborn, you take the newborn to the, uh, the pediatrician and uh, the doctor, they have this metric system whereby they measure your child. I know it's unfair. Right from the get-go, they're measuring our children. <laughs> and uh, All right, so they measure your children and they weigh your child. And they have, when you know, they have this percentile system. And so your child's going to be um, 10% or 40 percentile, and sometimes, you know, the head's like 120 percentile, you know, just got the big noggin ahead of the game, no problem there. But you go to the doctor, and they sort of measure your, your child. And I remember when Bridget and I had our kids, and uh, we were in the doctor's office, or we'd come back, and they'd weigh and measure and all that, and the kids were for a while, always in the lower percentiles. You know, they're like 5% or 10%. And, 
And you get a couple of those reports and it's no big deal, but then it keeps happening and as young parents, you're sort of a little concerned. Like, is this normal? Is my child really supposed to be 10%? You know, nothing's changed. And you sort of set yourself up to be let down or excited. because you, you. And what is that all about? You expect your kids to grow physically. And there comes a point, really, I mean, it takes quite a long time. We were settled because our kids, you know, they end up growing, right? You get nervous about what you don't know because you're young parents, but the kids end up growing and all is well in the world. But, but there are sometimes that doesn't happen. And so what, what is it that we're worried about? We're concerned because if our child isn't growing physically, something is abnormal, something's wrong, because we expect our kids to grow. Naturally speaking, that is what's supposed to happen. But let me ask you a question. Do you think that way spiritually? Do we think that there's a, there's a you and I should be growing in the Lord, and if we're not growing in the Lord, something is wrong? Well, we should think that because the Bible's very clear that we are supposed to be growing. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 3 that we are born again when we give our lives to Jesus. John 3 verse 3, we're born again. And that's not just some good analogy. That means that when we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside and it says that he makes us alive in Christ. And it is from that point on that we begin to grow in faith and wisdom and discernment and love. It is not automatic. Growth is not automatic. It takes a whole life for us to continue to surrender to Jesus, to be conformed into his image from glory to glory, from faith to faith. And there's so many passages that talk about this. But just because we have a new heart, according to scripture, and a new mind, and we have a new nature, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us that the old is passed away and behold, all things are new. But just because they're new does not mean we walk in it. We've got to have our minds renewed. We've got to learn to surrender to the Lord and obey Him with each and every step. And that's why you read scriptures that talk about staying in step with the Holy Spirit, having our minds renewed in the Lord. And so we understand this from just a general principle that we are people that are called to grow. And we are growing all the time in the Lord as we follow Him, as we read His Word, study His Word, apply His Word, and we have a new nature whereby we can now obey Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And wouldn't you know, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 through 20, which is a verse that gets a lot of airtime from, from this pulpit, and, sh- and rightly so because we're missional, we're continuing the mission and the ministry of Jesus, and Jesus told His disciples before He ascended into heaven and was at the right, would be at the right hand of the Father. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey some things. Come on, where's the biblicist in the room? Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. I've said this for a long time, but part of the problem of why we end up coming up, why we come up short is often related to not that we just teach, some people teach false things, it's that we don't teach all things. He said, teach them all things, everything, to obey everything, not just to know about it, but teach them to obey everything that I commanded you. What is that? That is Jesus commissioning a growth movement. In other words, part of our growth is 
connected to other people helping us and us helping other people, passing on the words of Jesus. And this is important for us to understand. And let me just say this to you. Spiritual gifts is not exempt. They're not exempt from growth. Now, you've heard me say this, but I'm going to say it again. There's teaching out there that suggests that you do not grow in the gifts and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to say, not only is it strange thinking, but it's just flat out wrong. Just because you have a tool doesn't mean you know how to use it. In fact, I've got a couple tools in my toolbox that I have no idea how to use. I don't even know what they're called. And I bet you if you went through my toolbox, there's some tools in there that you don't even know how to pronounce and you don't know what they're used for. I only know because I had to work on projects one time and you bought a tool for that one application. See, you're given tools as you're born again and filled with the Spirit, but you're not necessarily given the wisdom on how to use them. And so discipleship is what fills in the gap from where we are to where we need to be. Knowing we have something and how we use it. This is wisdom. And the scriptures give us wisdom. But we also are discipled by the word, the spirit, and the body of Christ. Those are the three ways in which you and I are discipled. And so it's really important. The Apostle Paul addressed the Corinthian church regarding their misuse of prophecy. We know 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, devoted to spiritual gifts. He's addressing them because they're using them in the wrong way, and he's essentially telling them that you need to do this better. And so he gives them very clear guidelines. What is that? It's him discipling on the proper use of prophecy. That is called discipleship. So discipleship includes the arena of the prophetic which is why we're focusing on it, which is why I wrote a book on it. It's why the scriptures devote time to it. When I first started prophesying and, and I received spiritual gifts and I was ministering, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I made mistakes all over the place. And I saw a lot of other people who didn't all, weren't always honest about it. They made a lot of mistakes too. Because there is a perfectionist mentality sometimes around the issue of spiritual gifts. People will say, well, you either have them or you don't. Well, what does that mean? How, let me ask a question. Let's do a little bit of a poll. I'm not going to take any uh, names down here, okay? How many of you have experienced from other people the misuse of spiritual gifts? Why don't you go ahead and raise your hand? No, I, everybody, did, okay, raise it a little higher. Look around the room. You think we ought to have a little, some discipleship around this area? Anybody agree with that? Yeah, you're welcome. All right. So let's go ahead and lay out some principles that will help us on how to grow. We're talking about discipleship as it relates to the prophetic gift and ministry. Now, the first way that we grow is we grow by cultivating hunger. We grow by cultivating hunger. We've read this in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire. I'm just going to input a modern word, hunger for spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. Now, we all understand physical hunger. Our body tells our brain, hey, you're hungry, you need to eat. A hunger pain is where one part of your stomach, the lining touches the other, and it sort of causes a friction. And it's saying, hey, we need something in here. Your brain automatically associates refrigerator, pantry, or whatever else. You know, McDonald's, hopefully not. But, you know, you have a hunger pain, sends that to your brain, and you go and you eat. There's something about hunger 
that the Bible tells us is it relates to our spirituality. You know how many verses in the Bible use the idea of hunger and thirst as a parallel to our condition before God or how it ought to be? Hunger for the Lord, be thirsty for the Lord. These kinds of metaphors are used because we all understand it. We all understand what it is to be hungry. You know what it is to be thirsty. In fact, we, we don't even need to explain that. But here's the question. Do you eagerly desire for spiritual gifts? Do you hunger for the things of the Spirit? Now, you can hunger inappropriately. I want to have the gifts of the Spirit. I want to experience the power of the Spirit. I want to prophesy because I want people to think I'm powerful. I want people to think I'm godlike. I want people to think I'm great. I mean, we can do that, but that is a, viol- a violation to why God gives them to begin with. But I would tell you on the flip side that if God has made something available to us that we're to give to other people, I wouldn't consider it necessarily that loving knowing what's available to us for others. I wouldn't consider it that loving for us to neglect that. See, our, in, in the natural, we rely far too much on the natural. God has spiritually given us what we need to give away to people that will actually fit the bill. It will It will cause change, transformation. It will bring about what God wants. And that's related to all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to be hungry? We would want to be hungry for the things of the Spirit because we know what they do. How many of you have ever received a prophetic word and it touched you, changed you, transformed you, encouraged you, strengthened? Absolute. Look at these hands. Come on. We've had the misuse, but then we have also the power of the prophetic. We have the power of spiritual gifts. One word from the Lord, one real word from the Lord can change a lot of things, can't it? So we want to cultivate a hunger for the Lord, and I want to encourage you to do that. The first way we can do that in growing in the prophetic is ask the Holy Spirit for a new hunger. I mean, let's just acknowledge it. If we're not hungry for the things of the Spirit, let's stop acting like we're good old Christians and get hungry. That's what we want to do. If, if we're not hungry for prayer and reading the Word, if the, if the Bible's boring to you, Don't just let that be the truth over your life. Say, God, the Bible's boring to me right now. I'm embarrassed to say that, but would you give me a hunger? God, I'm not hungry for the things of the Spirit. I'm not even interested in what Pastor Ben's talking about. I don't want to read his book. I don't want him to talk about it again. I'm not interested in him continuing this series. No, you want to ask the Holy Spirit for a hunger. God, give me a hunger so that I can see people change, transformed, and hear from you. Our hunger for God to move in us prophetically is absolutely connected to our growth. Why? Because when you're hungry, you make your way to the refrigerator. You understand? When, you, when you're hungry for something, you will go eat. And so it's vitally connected to our growth. The second way that we grow is we grow by staying pure. We grow by staying pure. The prophetic gift may be a function, but it's connected to a relationship. And it is possible to seek the gift in a way that violates our relationship with the Lord. And this is just unacceptable. This is what we've experienced in abuse and misuse, and it's not what I'm advocating for. Our seeking to grow prophetically is is directly connected to heart purity, especially as we take more steps in the Lord and grow in Christ. There comes a point where maybe in our immaturity, some things we, we didn't know. But as we continue to grow deeper in relationship with God, 
He doesn't allow us to continue down an impure road. He will hold us in check for His purposes, and He wants us to grow up, and this is really important. An an impure heart literally will cause prophetic words to be skewed. Instead of wanting to give a gift to someone, we're going to be seeking something from them. And that's not acceptable. And there comes a point where we have to be able to discern that. Those who minister prophetically must cultivate a pure heart before the Lord or they, be, they will be swayed by the fear of man or the love of self. And neither of those are what we want. This is a corruption that causes false prophets. I've seen it. You've seen it. Um, I don't want to give you too many examples, but... The Apostle Paul told Timothy that those who desire to be used as a vessel of honor must cleanse themselves from defilement and call on the Lord with a pure heart. Listen to this, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. The Bible says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware or clay. To some honor, to some dishonor. Now listen, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, defilement, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now who doesn't want to be that? I want to be useful to God for every good work. If you cleanse yourself from the latter, you'll be set apart and useful to God. He will be a vessel. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Do you hear what he's saying? Paul is an older man at this point, and he's talking to a young pastor. And he's saying, what you need to do, if you want to be used by the Lord, Timothy, Timothy's in ministry. Timothy's a pastor. Timothy has influence. Timothy knows a lot Paul has entrusted his ministry to this man. This is the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest apostle that has ever existed. I mean, I could make a case for that. This is who we're talking about. That apostle put his ministry into this guy's hands, obviously well-trusted, and he tells that guy, if you want to be useful to God, you better cleanse your heart. You better live in a place where you're purifying yourself regularly, coming to God, surrendering your heart, ensuring that there's no wickedness in you that's seeking something from people, but rather to give to them, which is really what the gospel is all about. And I'm just advocating that prophecy is the same way. If we want to minister spiritually and spiritual gifts and prophetically, we've got to have this heart and cultivate this heart where I want to give something. I want to add value to people. I want to benefit them by hearing from the Lord and saying what I believe he is saying. That's what this is all about. I don't want any corruption in the way. And so here's what I would tell you. We've got to guard our hearts. Now, if you don't hear me clearly on a lot of other things, hear me clearly on this. (laughs) We've got to guard our hearts. What does that mean? Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 talks about guarding our hearts with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. In other words, in other words, we've got to protect our heart and not allow things into our heart because if we are not guarding our heart, what comes in will flow out. And that's in every area of life, and prophecy is certainly one of them. It will skew what we hear and it will skew what we say. And so the way that we guard our lives is we have to ask ourselves these questions. What are we allowing inside? What are we watching? What are we listening to? What are we reading? What voice is allowed to speak into my life? I just want to be honest with you. 
I have a tight circle. I'm not ashamed of that. And it's not because I'm scared. It's that I personally have certain people in my inner circle. I have everybody I love, but there are only so many voices that I allow to speak to my heart in such a way where they could say anything and I would, I would listen. I'm, they're not God to me, but I would take seriously what they have to say. They've got to have a godly life, not just good advice. You know, I mean, and I, I'm, I'm a cautious person, right? If you're my dentist, I want to know how you treat your spouse and how you parent and before you touch anything in my mouth or my eyes or any, you know, I'm, <laughs> I mean, people say, you have trust issues. I'm like, everybody has trust issues. What are you talking about? I mean, I trust anybody with $5. It doesn't mean I'm going to trust you with my children. We, let's just talk about levels, people. You have trust issues and you do too. God bless you. You give your children away that quickly, it says a lot. You don't have trust issues, you have child issues, all right? It's a big difference. But you understand what what I'm saying here is, is that for us to have pure words from the Lord, it's connected to having a pure heart before the Lord. And don't make no mistake, because things get in and they come out of you. Just Just real talk for a second. The things that we're watching at some point are going to come out. I know because I talk to a lot of you. And even you online, we, we email and exchange. Like, you, you might have watched that movie that just recently came out on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, and you may have gotten a little paranoid. And you may have said something to me about it. It may have started to flow out of you just a little bit. You know, you know people, are, people are watching. You may have a little bit of tape on some of your cameras on your phones and your, you know, I always feel like somebody. All right, you know. I watched, we watched that, most of that show. Nothing wrong with it. I'm just, and it's good that we watch that. So my point is, is that you watch something. Isn't it amazing how much influence it can have? Like that week you can start talking about. It. So don't, you don't think that you're immune from that flowing out of you, music that advocates for things that you know Jesus died for. I, I know this sounds like the old school holiness, but I don't care. I, I want to guard my ears and guard my heart. I don't want trash in my life because it will affect you. And the fact that people act like it doesn't is just, it's bothersome to me. But here's the deal. I don't try to protect my heart and my eyes and my ears because I think that I need to please God by doing that. That's legalism. I love the Lord, and I don't want those things to touch me. I want to have a pure ministry. And you need to know this. Like, the Hebrew word behind the word ordain in the English, this is something that's always struck me. I remember when I got ordained, and, and there's this word, the, the Hebrew word. I can't pronounce it, but it means to fill the hands and there's this concept, right? Even Paul would teach this concept. He would say, don't, you know, be hasty in the laying on of hands. And he's talking about ordaining. He's talking about putting your hands on someone and, and endorsing their ministry. Don't, don't, because if you do that quickly and you don't know this person, you're sharing in their sins. If you endorse someone that you don't really know that. And so I, there's a fear of God on me when I got ordained. And there's also, in a small way, been the fear of the Lord when I put my hands on people. When I lay my hands on people, I want to know that my heart is pure. I didn't say perfect. I'm not advocating perfection. But I want to know, and I want you to know, that that's not how we roll here. 
We don't just go do stuff in the back room and then we come out and we lay hands on people. We, we've got to have a purity. If we want power to flow, you've got to have purity in your life. He says that right there. Didn't he say that? He says, if you cleanse yourself from these things, then you'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. There's something about purity and holiness. In fact, whenever I preach on the holiness of the Lord and how he wants to make us holy, we're made holy in Christ by his precious blood, but he's also sanctifying us in our lifestyle. And when you yield to that, I'll tell you what, I see the power come when I've preached on holiness. And I'll tell you, if we want to prophesy, we can't just living, live crazy lives and then just, oh, well, I got a word from God. I mean, do you, tr- <laughs> I've just got this picture of like a king in a king's court. And you know the jester, you know who the, the joker, they bring, bring in the entertainment, you know that guy? I never saw it be a female, so let's just say that guy. You ladies are exempt. They bring in the jester for the entertainment, and they do all those weird things. I mean, we're not living in medieval times, but you've seen movies. All right, you understand where I'm going with this. That's where the joker from the deck of cards comes. All right, you, okay. So if the king needed to talk about very important matters among his officials, do you think he would allow the jester there? Hey, jester, go ahead and hang out while we talk about these very important things that we don't want anybody to know about. No, he would say, off with you. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to talk to trusted officials, right? People that I can trust. And this has a lot to do with being pure. And just think about who you would allow to hear very detailed, important, confidential information. Would it just be anybody? Would it be people that you weren't sure if they were going to leak, right? You're not even sure about your children. It's like, I'm just going to leave it there. (laughs) Being a prophetic voice for the Lord means that we reserve our soul as a place where God can speak to and through, and we can't allow the garbage of the world to influence us. Go through, do house cleaning every year. Get rid of movies and music and cleanse what comes into your ears and your eyes, not because you're trying to prove something to God or me or anybody. Don't tell anybody what you're doing. Just live before the Lord in such a pure way where you're not trying to entertain yourself or over-entertain yourself. We give more of our heart over to the Lord, and we're allowing for these holy things to influence us. More prayer time, more time in the Word. You're going to get more words from God. In fact, I can guarantee that. You're going to hear from the Lord more. If you sanctify your life, you set your life apart more. That's number two. Number three, we grow by being mentored. When I first started out in the prophetic ministry, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to help me. I, in fact, I was at a church that didn't believe in what I'm talking to you about. They didn't believe in this. So I had a bit of a conundrum that I really couldn't fix, except I had to go to another place. And I don't, I don't mean they were charismatic and not practicing. I mean, they, weren't, they were anti charismatic. They were cessationists. I just didn't know what that meant back then. So they believed that this was what I'm teaching and practicing is is evil. That's what they believed. And so I found out what all that meant. So I had to leave there and God had shown me things and I was hearing from the Lord, not understanding what that was. And I didn't have anybody to guide me in those times. There was no Paul or Timothy (laughs) or whoever so what I had to do was read books. I went to, I call it the black market section of the Christian bookstore. 
you know, got smaller and smaller over the years, you know, the charismatic section. And uh, it's in the back of the store. <laughs> and so I'd go to that section and I'd pick up all these books and I'd read them. A lot of them were older and they'd talk about the things of the Spirit. But you notice really quickly when you walk in, well, we don't have a lot of Christian bookstores anymore, but when you used to walk into a Christian bookstore, you'll notice you can get books on almost anything else. But there's very little on this. It, it's no wonder why we're so confused on spiritual gifts. And what is out there, half of that's not even good. So yeah, we've got an issue. But I read books, I listened to tapes, I had tapes, those, those were the days, CDs eventually, I watched lots of videos. I traveled across the country to go to seminars and conferences. I signed up for when, they, when you could online training. I went to like three, four-day schools of the prophets and, you know, good, bad, ugly, all kinds. I've encountered a bunch of stuff. Some of you in the room, you've seen all of that too. I had to eat the meat and spit out the bones. I had to learn to do that because I wanted to learn something and uh, I couldn't find it everywhere. And so I've invested myself into resources considering those to be distant mentors of the like, and I'm sure some of you have done that as well. And I would tell you, if you want to grow in spiritual gifts and the things of the Spirit and ministering, you're going to have to invest yourself into reading. You're going to have to watch videos. You're going to have to put away some of the other stuff in your life and focus and really take this up. And that's why we're here. That's what this is about. And so that is part of what we're all doing. But that's what needs to happen if we're serious about really growing and gleaning. We want to be able to spend a portion of our time doing that. Now, Listen, I'm not Mr. Workout, uh, super fit, whatever. I go to the gym, though, okay? Planet Fitness, because it's $10 a month, just being honest with you. And uh, I like, it's kind of like uh, coined as the gym for the rest of us. I sort of feel like I fit in. But anyways, I go to my gym 12 feet away, pull down the mask while you're working out. Still don't understand that. But I go work out, and you, you can always spot someone, and no offense, okay, if you take offense, don't, because you're in church and it's a bad thing to do, <laughs> but I can always spot someone that doesn't, doesn't know what they're doing. They come and they, you know, they're going to hurt themselves usually, but, because I've hurt myself too, but you can spot them. You know they do not know how to use the machines, they don't know what they're doing, and the only reason I do is not because I'm an expert workout man, it's because I've had people that have shown me what to do. I needed some help to know what the proper form and practice and endurance and sets and reps and all of that kind of, what actually helps me. I've had to have people in my life show me how to use these things so that they're effective. Why? I've hurt myself using those same things that you're trying to help yourself with. And so clearly you can misuse those machines even though they seem to be for people like myself. And I've done it. But that's the difference is a person that walks in the gym. Just because you're in the gym does not mean you're going to get fit. And just because you pay $10 a month to Planet Fitness and don't go there, guilty. In COVID, nobody's guilty of anything because we don't know if we can even go. So shame off you. But just going does not make you fit, right? And just going and sitting down on a machine and kind of trying something isn't necessary. In fact, it could be counterproductive. You could get hurt doing that. What do you need? You and I need somebody that can fill the gap. Help me. Teach me how to use this so that I can get in shape. 
That's what I'm talking about. We need that kind of mentoring, whether it's books, tapes, CDs, whatever, and we need to pursue relationships with people that know things that we don't know, and that takes humility to do that. Would you teach me what you know? I remember there was a time where I clearly could tell that I did not know how to communicate and preach like other people did. Now, I'm not sitting here saying I'm a good preacher. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I could tell that I was really bottlenecked, and I didn't know how to prepare sermons very well, and I wasn't expressing what I really was trying to teach in the text and how to exegete properly. There was a time where I recognized that my methodology caused some people to do this. And it wasn't my heart. My heart was good. I wanted, to, I wanted to help people grow in the Lord. I wanted to teach the word. I wanted to exhort people, not just to know, but also to do. I was, that was my heart. But I couldn't communicate in a way that effectively helped people like I wanted to. So what did I have to do? I sat down with three people, and I said, teach me exactly what you do. And uh, there was one particular individual of those three that really, really helped me. And just because his methodology struck a chord in my heart, I resonated with it better. And then I took what he did and I improved on that just in my own style. And it's helped me and I've taught other people to do the same thing. My point is I had to get to a place where I recognized I need help to get to where I want to go. I can't just do this on my own. Now, I've heard people say for years, well, the Holy Spirit's my teacher. Yeah, we all know. It ain't just the Holy Spirit though. You need help. You know, I mean... You know, sometimes that kind of arrogance just needs to go as quick as it came. Stop thinking that way about yourself. Self-awareness is such a gift to every person, right? I mean, you know, we all got blind spots. We all need to grow. I got a lot of growing to do. And if you think I don't know, I know. But you got to know, I have a theology for growth. And this is the problem is that sometimes we, I presented to you in the beginning of my message a theology for growth. We're born again, but that means that we now have a new heart. We have a new nature. We have a new mind, and we're learning how to walk in Christ. And we need help. And just because we have the tool, we have the gift of the Spirit, does not mean that it's effective. We can take a hammer. If you hit someone with a hammer, it hurts. But if you hit something with a hammer, you might solve a problem. Same tool, different effect. These are flowing tonight. (laughs) Nothing's written down. I got to clap. Go ahead. Do that two or three times. That's fine. Do what you do. Do what you do. So you need real relationships, and so do I. We need people in our life, and it's not about knowledge. Let's just learn how to humble ourselves. Younger, older, doesn't matter. If you're older than me and you think you can't humble yourself to me, clearly you've proved it tonight. You're listening to me. Same goes for all of us. It's not about age and stage and knowledge. It's about humility. You want to know the people that grow in the prophetic the most? It's not the most gifted. It is the most humble, period. That's it. If you're teachable, you're going to surpass other people, not because you're special, not because you're more knowledgeable. There are a lot of smart, godly people that really don't know how to humble themselves, and they don't grow beyond their own limitations, beyond their own awareness of themselves. Really. I'm not content being smarter than another person, knowing that I'm not, but real relationships can fill the gap, okay? That's what I'm saying. So whether it's books, resources, whatever, at some point we want to pursue relationships that can teach us what we don't know, so we're not in the gym hoping something gets fit. And we also, thirdly in that point, we need an environment for growth. Now, 
I'm, I'm not an advocate for telling people to leave their churches. So hear me online, and there's a, you know, you can, you can get from this what you want. But um, I've led meetings all over the country for years, and I can tell you people will come from all kinds of churches, and I get this all the time. It's like, Pastor Ben, my church doesn't teach anything like this or do anything like this. I'm like, well, I'm glad you're here, but you don't have to switch teams in order to learn about the prophetic. I'm glad you're here, and we'll make room for you if you're from another church. We're glad you're here, you don't, but you don't have to be a part of our church family. I think being a part of the church family is covenant community. You know, if we're going to do this, let's do this together. And if you want to sign up for covenant community, not just coming here to learn something, you can't sign on to a church just for that reason. We've, church is so much more than just a place where I just learn something and never know anybody. Okay, so I, I'm, I want people to be careful that they don't switch teams. I come from that church, and now I'm going to this church because you guys teach prophecy. You can come into an environment where you can learn about the prophetic, and you can go to another church. My goal is never to get people to come here because we're better than others. We're not. In fact, every church has its problems, right? Every church has its problems. And so, um, I, but there is something about having an environment for growth. Like, listen, oranges do not grow in my backyard, but they do grow in Florida. Oranges grow in Florida. Why? Because of the temperature and the climate, Okay, there's something about the environment that's conducive for some types of fruit to grow. Now, they don't grow in my backyard because the temperature and the climate's not conducive for that specific kind of fruit. Now, if you're a brain person and you're like, I could make it happen, just follow my illustration. <laughs> so, but the, re- but the reality is, is that environments matter. Okay, and so there are some things people will say, well, like if you have like this burden for healing, maybe you went to a church and they focused on healing. There was an environment that they cultivated around certain elements. Maybe you, it's theology. Maybe it's evangelism. Maybe it's the prophetic. What we want to do as a church is be well-rounded. We don't just want to be a prophetic. I don't want to be just a prophetic church. I want, I want to be a holistic church. That's, that's the goal. It's the whole word of God. So we're only emphasizing this just because we're teaching through it, and then we'll move on to other things. But my point is, is that we, we want to cultivate environments where these things can grow and develop and become mature. The reason why we have so much immature is because we don't have a Florida environment for oranges to grow. And so it's easy to hold back the fruit that would fully mature and feed people, okay? And that's the truth. That's why you don't see a lot of books on this stuff. That's why it's easy to criticize these kinds of teachings because it's like you're criticizing the how, which there's not a lot of scriptures on. Here's exactly how you do it. There's a handful. So, so we need to have environments where people can actually prophesy, and we learn by the Holy Spirit in the context of the Word how to be a Spirit-filled people. All right, so I, I would say, um, you know, for those that are watching or whatever, you're welcome to be here, but we don't have any kind of agenda to get people here as a more spiritual place. I'm just saying that sometimes you need to be a part of environments. Now, I've traveled across the country to learn from other people and be in that environment for a week. That, that'll do you wonders. There are times to do that. We do that for other things as well, don't we? We will also grow by learning from failure. One question I get regarding prophetic is, what if I get it wrong when I prophesy? Here's my answer. You will get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. And if this irritates you, then get irritated. 
because you're going to make mistakes. I remember when I started out, I was like saying things and I was trying to communicate what I felt God put in my heart. I'd see a vision or a picture for somebody and I was trying to say it, but it just came out horribly. Uh, And I was embarrassed. And there were plenty of people that were there to help me stay embarrassed. It takes courage. It takes courage to, to, to step out and do this. Now, I don't want arrogance, nor do I want ignorance. So how do you balance that out? You, you, you take steps, but you're going to fail. And I, I would actually say, if you try, you're not, you're not going to fail unless you're unwilling to repent, humble yourself, make an apology. I worked for this uh, accounting department in a fireplace manufacturing company, high-end fireplaces that they made, and we worked in this good-sized accounting department, and I did all kinds of stuff, invoicing and whatever. It was a temporary job while I was a youth pastor, Um, and I remember there was this rule in the accounting department, right? It's not a mistake until it leaves the accounting department. That That was the rule, and I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Because you, can, you make, a, with data entry and invoicing, accuracy is so important in an accounting department. Everybody agreed on that? Why? Because you're billing out invoices and you need to get paid. You're sending out all of these fireplaces all over the place and you need to get paid. And so invoicing and billing and all of that is, ex- accuracy is the most important thing, in fact. But here's the deal. You make a lot of errors in that department, and we would double-check. We would have checks and balances. We would weigh things so that we would end up in a, in a place where, where we were supposed to be. Everything would balance. That's what we were about. And so we had this principle. We would say, if it doesn't leave the department, as long as it doesn't leave the department, it's not a mistake. And it wasn't to say you don't make mistakes. It was saying that we understood how this worked ultimately to get our goal of accuracy. We understood that. We would say this also, if it leaves our department, we can still remedy that, but it's more costly because our goal was still accuracy. Do you hear where I'm going with this? I don't know anybody that wants to make a mistake when they prophesy. I mean, I don't. I don't know anybody that gets up in the morning and says, I want to prophesy and have it be completely wrong, obscure, strange, weird, and confusing. I don't know one person. I mean, maybe... Maybe they're out there, but I'm not friends with them. (laughs) But what I would tell you is that we've got to learn how to grow, and as we grow, to be honest about it. Because I think part of what holds us back from growth is that we have this mindset where it has to be perfect, and so we're afraid to suggest that it wasn't, and we cover it. And I've watched people do it, too. I've watched people get it wrong and then hold to this perfectionist mindset and sort of try to convince the person that they shared it with how right it was. How dumb is that? Now, I can't prove it in Scripture that prophets made mistakes or there were, you know, times where, I mean, there are false prophets, but I'm talking about legitimate prophecy that was error. I could potentially suggest some things. I could be right or wrong on this, but you could look at, we went through the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Jonah walks through Nineveh, and he says, in 40 days, you will be destroyed. He gives no suggestion whatsoever about repentance. In 40 days, you will be destroyed. It's, It's five Hebrew words. And most scholars, and I want you to hear this, most scholars that I read as we walked through the book of Jonah believe that Jonah withheld information. Most. 
big names that you know. And they wouldn't teach what I'm teaching. But what does that mean? What does it imply if we're willing to say that Jonah prophesied about what was going to happen but willingly held back information? What is that? That's worse than what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody that genuinely thought God was saying something and hopefully in a humble way said it and they made some level of mistake. We're talking about a guy who God did not kill when he did it. Forty days, yet Nineveh will be destroyed. Didn't happen, did it? Why? Because this little thing called repentance. What about 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 3? You might remember this story. It's where the King, uh, King David told the prophet Nathan that he wanted to build a house for the Lord. I want to build a temple for God. And he made the provision to do it. That's what Solomon had. Solomon had all the timber and the gold and everything set aside when he came into his kingship. He had everything. His dad had already set all the provisions aside for him. But he didn't get to, David didn't get to build that, did he? Now, it's interesting because David tells Nathan, his prophet, I want to build the Lord a house. You want to know what Nathan said? 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. Nathan says, go do all that is in your mind for the Lord is with you. Don't forget that is a prophet speaking. Go do all that is in your mind for the Lord is with you. It's this picture you keep, you keep reading 2 Samuel 7. Here's Nathan. He's walking in the courtyard. He had just told the king some good news. And the Lord, I want you to turn around and go tell David that is surely not what he's going to do. In fact, because he's a man of bloodshed, he will not build a house for me. You ever thought about that? Nathan was a prophet. And he told the king that God was with him in what he desired to do. That's equivalent to a prophecy, if you ask me, when you're a prophet. If you're a produce manager and I'm standing in front of the bananas and I ask you if this is ripe and you say, pick these bananas, do what is in your heart to do, I'm going to trust what you're saying, produce manager. But if I start eating one and it's not ripe, lie, you know? I mean, it's what you do. I told you, there, it's not, I don't know if this is okay or not. I don't know what's happening. Stop laughing, it's encouraging me. Stop it. But have we thought, of, have we thought about that? What do you want to call that? You want to call that a mistake? Good intentions? It was not a false prophet giving a false word. It was a real prophet of God making a mistake. We could call that presumption. He made an assumption. Okay, this happens. This stuff happens. And, 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 and it's, not, it's not about whether or not it's going to happen. It's what you do when it does. That's what helps us to grow. All right? Now, I will tell on myself. I, won't, I, know, I don't want to take you too long here. But <laughs> one time, we used to have prophetic conferences. And so buildings were full, and we, I'd be, you know, we'd have people that get up and prophesy over people. And, and we, for hours, we would lay hands and pray and prophesy and all that. We did that for years. Um, one time I was standing on a stage, and I'm looking, I'm looking at my left. I'm looking over here, like toward you guys. And I start giving this, pro- there's this guy and this girl, and they're standing shoulder to shoulder, okay? You know where I'm going. They're standing shoulder to shoulder. And as I'm praying, the Lord highlights the guy in particular, and I start to prophesy, start to give him a word that I believe was from the Lord. And as I'm prophesying, I move from him to them. 
and I start giving this word. I'm, it's they, them. It's, you know, it goes from him, his, to they, them. And they came. I never met these people before. That, that was normal. People would come from other churches. I never met them before. They came from a church that had never been to one of our meetings before and probably were skeptical on their way in. Like, this isn't something they normally do. And every, I look back, you know, like way back there, and these people that they were with were all laughing or smiling. You know, sometimes smiling is just like, yeah, you're nailing it. That's, you're, it's, it's the Lord. Well, it wasn't the Lord. <laughs> they were not married. They weren't together. And at least one of them was with someone else that was in the room. Yeah. That happened. And it was a big joke. Like, like I was, our church, not this church, so you guys are safe, but was a big joke. Now, do I think the word was right? I thought the word was for him, but I made a mistake. But there's no way that I could recapture that. It doesn't matter what I say at that point. It didn't matter. It's just embarrassing. Now, here's the question. What do I do after that happens? Well, I, I apologized to him. That's what I did. If you make a mistake, you make an apology. This is a great spiritual principle. Right. That's what I did. I apologized publicly because they identified it publicly, and I made an apology to them and their pastor that was with them. I, I said I was sorry. I couldn't take that back, though. To them, my voice in, prophetic, in the prophetic is probably not credible. But it is what it is. Now, I've got a decision that I want to make. Either I'm going to let that help me and continue to minister or I'm going to shut down and let the critics have their day. I made a decision that I was going to learn from that. You know what I've done? I have never, ever in my life done that again. So you might be sitting next to each other holding hands, and I might say, are you together? Are you guys together tonight? I just saw you holding hands. It was just a piece of discernment that I felt like I might have. <laughs> need to ask wasn't sure. just want to confirm that. I'm serious. I ask. Are you guys together? Are you married? See, that question comes from that moment. Why? Because I grew from that failure. See, it's not about whether or not you're going to fail. It's what you do when you fail. And if we have a theology that doesn't allow us to fail, guess what? We will never grow. And I'll tell you what that theology does. Nothing. Nothing. That's what that theology will do. A theology that doesn't allow for growth and isn't interested in what I just talked about, you will not see prophecy. That's what you will see. Nothing. You won't see it because people are paralyzed to step out. How do you know, Pastor Ben? That's why people invited me all over the country to minister to their churches. Let this guy take the fall. Seriously. It's like a novelty, like, hey, do that prophecy thing you do. Just, teaching's great, but do, the, do that thing. I know what they're doing. I wanna, what I'm trying to do is not make everybody prophets or evangelists or teachers or pastors, but it's to instruct so that we all have a working operative understanding of the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit, whether it's giving or receiving. That way, we all have a handle on this and we can grow up and become mature. This is a high-level mature conversation. What I just shared with you, that is something that is difficult to even process. Now, but there's more. There's more. I remember uh, <laughs> one time I was prophesying one of these conferences again, and I'm giving, there was a pastor, and he was a friend of mine, but he had moved away to another city. 
And it was like a Walla Walla Wenatchee kind of thing, you know. I forgot what city it was. He brings a whole group with him, and I'm calling it like Walla Walla, and it's really Wenatchee or whatever. And they're all laughing as I'm sharing it several times, like Walla Walla, Walla Walla. Everybody's laughing at me. It's awesome. And um, nobody heard what I said. The prophecy was like null and void, return to sender. And because I messed up, I messed up on the city name. Now, what happened there? I made a mistake. I made a mistake, and it just totally discredited the entire prophecy. Now, listen, I'm just telling you things that will happen, and uh, that can devastate people. I prophesied in front of a group one time, large group, huge group of people, prophesied openly to this person, no, that's not accurate at all. I'm like, oh my gosh, this person like literally just said in front of everybody, denied the fact that that was right. Their friend, I think I told you this, their friend came up to me after the meeting and said, you nailed them, that was right on. I'm like, why didn't you say something in front of everybody else? I have 500 people that think I'm a false prophet. <laughs> that happened. And it's happened more than once. Put that on YouTube. <laughs> we grow by processing rejection properly. We went from failure to rejection. One of the biggest factors related to growing in the prophetic is how we handle rejection. Um, We've got to make a choice, though, before it happens. You, you, you know, not everybody accepts this. I know, trust me, I know this. There are people in almost every time I preach that would rather me not do what I do. I know it. I feel it. I sense it. I may not know who it is, but I know it. And that's the hard thing is that you've got to make decisions. Not to, you know, be abrasive. To be, try to be gentle. I mean, I'm by nature, I'm an exhorter. Okay, if you haven't figured that out yet, it's part of how I love, it's my love language. <laughs> Come on, it's just how I am. But I've learned that we have to reject rejection. We've got to love people and learn from where we make mistakes, but just because rejection comes doesn't mean we have to receive it. In fact, Jesus talked about rejection quite a bit. He prepared his disciples for being misunderstood, maligned, persecuted. He used the prophets as an example. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The thing we got to make sure of is it's not our own foolishness, that we don't suffer for something that's... We shouldn't have said or done, right? That's the thing. But I'll tell you, prophets, apostles, disciples of all kinds have been rejected by their own family and their churches, surrounding communities, believer, unbeliever. The question is, are we going to yield to that feeling, that sense of rejection, and let it shut us down? Are we going to allow that to be the final word? Do we have an eternal perspective are we truly doing this for the Lord or do we want the praise of people? That's really important. Why do we do what we do? If you seek the approval of people, you will not be able to endure through the prophetic ministry. I guarantee it. You won't minister in the spiritual gifts if you want the approval of people. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, the apostle Paul says, I would not be a bondservant of Christ if I still was trying to please men. There's got to be a point where we make decisions in our life that we're going to minister and we're going to let the Lord use us, and we're not doing it to please people, we're doing it to help people. But sometimes that gets turned against us. 
And that's not just the prophetic. I realize I'm sharing principles that could help in a lot of areas of growth, but that's the truth. And um, I think it helps us to know ahead of time how it is that we're going to deal with rejection. It's par for the course. I've seen, on the flip side, people with a martyr complex who bring criticism and controversy upon themselves. Oh, that's just what happens to me. (laughs) Don't do that either. If you're harsh or weird or inaccurate or demanding and you expect total acceptance in the body of Christ, self-awareness is a gift to you and all of us, really. We want to become more like Him and less justifying of things that need to grow and change in our lives. Why do people reject the prophetic gifting? Let me tell you six things, and I'm just going to hit them. They're just going to come like bullets. Number one, people reject the prophetic gifting among us. It's not personal. Number one, the prophetic often sheds light on sin and darkness. Number two, the prophetic can say what people don't want to hear. The prophetic can be unpredictable and therefore uncontrollable. I don't know what you're going to say. I don't know what you're thinking. The prophetic exposes the work of the demonic to which they respond with lies and accusation. The prophetic reminds people that we are following Jesus and could potentially bring guilt to those who don't pray or wait for the counsel of the Lord in their life. It could make people feel guilty that I'm not really a great Christian and, and you hearing from the Lord reminds me of you know, what I'm not doing. And so I want to put you down because you can't have that kind of relationship with the Lord. You can't hear from God like you say you do. And if I can put you down, then it makes me feel better for not even really having much of a relationship with God. Number six, and finally, the prophetic can threaten the status quo and the religious traditions. Oh, it can, it can buck the whole ship. Oh, yeah. I've gotten used to it even, and it's still hard. <laughs> I do take things personally. People say, don't take things personally. I'm like, how do you do that? Everything's personal to me. I just can't take it into my soul. You know, um, I don't want to go too far down this road, but I'll tell you this. We all have a brokenness that God is healing us from, everybody in this room. Now, you might be more whole than the person sitting next to you. That's for God to know. But there is a brokenness that we all carry. You can minister in your brokenness, but you cannot minister out of your brokenness. We all are where we are, and we're growing. But we've got to remember that as we give away what God's given to us, we're not looking to validate ourselves by that. So a lot of times in the prophetic, you're giving a word away, and you don't get the feedback or the validation. And that's actually a good thing. I love it when people say things to me like, well, you, you, know, you probably get this all the time. And I'm like, I hope I don't. I hope sometimes I just give words, and I do it in a gentle, loving way, and if it's really amazing and right on for somebody, they don't always have to puff me up by telling me how amazing it was. Right? Because I, I don't want to live by people's compliments and I don't want to die by their criticism. I'd rather just live before God. Amen? Amen. So growing in the prophetic means we're going to have a level of rejection, but we've got to realize that we're all in this together and there's an enemy behind a lot of the attitudes and the things that we deal with. If you're being rejected, then pray, bless, express love towards those who are coming against you. Don't take it personally. Don't develop a martyr complex. We're just trying to give away what God's given to us. But here's the thing. Growth will come out of us laying down our rejection 
and not owning it and acting like it's because we're more spiritual or any of that stuff. Just lay it down and just said, Lord, to you I live. And if I make a mistake, help me to be honest. And, and, and that being as spiritual as sharing a prophetic word, right? All right, number five, I think, we grow by stepping out in faith. We grow by stepping out in faith. Uh, I spent years training people to hear the voice of God. I mean, really, that was the crux of my ministry. So I can say years because it was a focus. I, I, I mean, I've lost count of how many prophetic seminars I've done. Uh, you don't write two books on the subject and not have like hundreds and hundreds of meetings where you prophesy over people and see other people try. And it's great. Uh, I'm, I was, got a little tired of it, to be honest with you. I was like, I want to move on to something else. <laughs> Can we talk about evangelism? Or do a marriage conference, for heaven's sake. No, Ben, will you come do the Hearing God conference? <laughs> like, no. But I've learned that you can help people learn that God speaks to them. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And yes, I do believe that means that we can hear the voice of God. Some people disagree with that being meaning that. I, I think it does mean that. And I think there are a lot of other passages. In fact, the whole Bible shows us that God communicated with people. All right? Now, we don't hear the, Him in such a way where we can equate that with Scripture. Of course not. That's why we have Scripture. But within our relationship with God, we hear from the Holy Spirit. We've got to learn in the context of the Word how that works. But I'll tell you this, like, I've taught plenty of people how to prophesy, and it never leaves the building. And if it doesn't grow beyond this environment, then it won't grow that much. Okay, it has to become lifestyle. Now, now okay, you, you all remember having the, the phones that had the cord, you know, corded phone. We don't have that. I mean, if you have that today, that's awesome. I don't even know where our plugins for the phones are anymore, I and mean, we, don't, we don't actually have a home phone. But it's your home phone. You have a plug-in in the wall, and you have a... Uh, we used to all have one where you plug it into the wall, and it, and it has a cord, you know, and you can only go so far... And I don't know if you remember this, but you remember when we got those 100-foot cords? So you had to talk to that special someone in the other room or whatever. I don't know. Maybe that, I'm, that's a young person saying that. I don't know. But, right, you had to like, the no, cord went all the way down the wall. Okay. You could talk to somebody and you could go down into your room. And then the world opened up. And I think it was like the, the 500 megahertz cordless phone. What an advancement of technology that whopper was. And then it went from like 500 to like 1.2. And then it went like 2.5. And what is it now, 100? I don't even know what it is anymore. We don't own one. But, but you know what I mean? Like you could go all the way down the block and be talking to Jane. And you could be sitting in your neighbor's, on your neighbor's couch talking to... A, you, some of you have done this. Don't do it at my house. But there was a progression, right? You could only talk in your house. You could only receive and talk in your house. And then it was like you could go down the block. But then cell phones came out, big box ones first, but now it's this, you know, phone even. You could talk in your phone. The world went cellular. All right, now this is my illustration. Hearing from 5G. Okay, don't go there. Stop right now. Stop right now. <laughs> You can neither add nor take away from this revelation, all right? You got to be careful here. All right, so having that corded phone is sort of like learning to hear God at the building, all right? It can't go very far. 
And then the wireless phone that still is plugged in, the five point whatever megahertz, that's like, to me, that's like learning how to hear God and prophesy at the small group or, you know, similar Christian circles, like trusted circles. You could go to the prayer room, you could, it's outside of the weekend service, it's outside of the hearing God meeting, the prophesy meeting. You know, it's, it's, it's maybe in your home or trusted circles. But what God wants to do is He wants our understanding and ability to hear Him to go cellular so that it's everywhere, anywhere. Not that we're walking prophesiers all the time, but that we are available to the Lord. And the restrictions are not walls or groups. The restrictions are mindsets. Jesus didn't have those mindsets, right? He just, wherever he went, he ministered by the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the same mindsets that others did. And, and that's what we see from Jesus. In fact, it says in John 5, 19, that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, said what the Father was saying. Now, we're not there yet. I'm not there yet, but I have an understanding of this, breaking down the walls of my mentality, of my mindset, and being able to hear the voice of the Lord for people that are in front of me, no matter who they are or where I am. See, that's an environmental training. It's like for the prayer ministry. Pastor Darby doesn't want to train people just to be altar workers. Okay, that's not, that's not nearly enough training. You need training to be a prayer intercessor for your life. And here's an opportunity where you can do that at the church. But the church's job is not just to train people just for one application. It's to train people to live a lifestyle of prayer, and then here's an opportunity for you to grow among us because we're a place where we get to grow up together. That's the church. The church is a training center. And that's why we're talking about the prophetic and, and going as far as we are. Now, three things. Number one, prayerfully observe people around you. I know this is totally simple stuff. Prayerfully observe people around you. We're talking about living a lifestyle that wherever you go, you're paying attention to the people around you. They are not threats for our inconvenience. People are targets for our love, right? If you're sitting there and you're at the restaurant and you're getting upset because they're bringing you the wrong stuff, you're in the wrong attitude. If that's you, you've, you sh we should repent for that kind of behavior. We're Christians, no, no, I'm serious. Like, this is really practical. Loving people looks like something, and our life has to be available to inconvenience because those are often the opportunities of ministering to a person. But our mindset has to be such that we're not at church, but we are an extension of the church filled with the Spirit of God, available to the Holy Spirit and willing and able to give a word to whomever is in front of us. But if our attitude is such that you're not serving me the way you should, you brought me a Coke instead of a Diet Coke, and this isn't chicken parmesan, you brought me veal, what's wrong with you? Where's your manager? If that's how we are, then we've created a religious structure around our life that will not allow us to have rivers of living water flowing out of our innermost being. You, you follow what I'm saying? That's like crusty religion. Nobody wants that. In fact, I just, I'm saying this to you and I'm saying this to you in the love of God that if we live in such a way, this isn't about guilt, but if we live in such a way where we're just annoyed and irritated by people, guys, I mean, that's, that's a revelation of the heart. And we're the ones that know the love of God, right? So here's what's going to happen. I, and I'm going to prophesy over you. Watch this. You are going to have inconvenient opportunities this week, 
more than you can handle. I don't even have to get a real word from the Lord from that. I just know you're going to have grace-growing opportunities, and you get to make a choice. But growth, don't fool yourself. Growth is not about the right moment for you as an individual, and this is just, this is God just set this one up. If you're waiting for all of heaven to break open and that glaring opportunity where it is so perfect that you, you just stumbled into it, that happens once in a while. The rest of them happen because we have eyes wide open. We stop waiting to be led of the Spirit, and like my friend says, if you want to be led Take a piece of lead, put it in your pocket, and every time you want to feel it, just put your hand down there and feel lead. <laughs> and just share with people. Just love on people. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you for people. And let it be simple. Let it be simple. Prayerfully observe people around you. Stop just going from point A to point B. God, what are you doing in this person's life? What would happen if we just even if it was 30 seconds more. That's all, Ben, this is so much. This is so hard. No, it's not. It's a choice. It's a choice. But that's growth, isn't it? Growth is not automatic. Almost always is intentional. And if we abide in Christ, we're going to grow. But I'll tell you, like some of these decisions that need to be made, they're very intentional. Number two is engage the people around you. So you go from observing to engaging. And number three, you go to sharing. I just do things like this. Hey, do you, do you have a sister? I don't say, you have a sister, and, you know, go into the... Just ask people questions. You have a sense, and you, you ask people questions, you get into conversations. I was, at a con- I was in a conversation this morning. I was at the coffee shop, and there's a guy that I've been talking to. And, I've been, you know, they all know who I am now. I didn't disclose that up front. Like, they all found out, and it just spread like wildfire. But I, you know, they say, what do you do? I'm a husband. <laughs> I'm a father, you know, and a good one. No, so, but um, he, the guy, I was talking to him, and I've ministered to him a little bit, not a ton, but other people at, there I have. I've ministered to them more than him. And he goes, hey, you're a pastor of a church, right? And I go, yeah. And he goes, uh, where's your church at? And I was like, Right, you know, right down here on 348, 21st. And he said, Do, you know, would it be cool if I came sometime? I said, oh, yeah, well, let me pray about it. No, I said, absolutely. <laughs> Depends on how good the coffee is. No, I didn't say any of that. I wasn't thinking it at all. I said, yeah, absolutely, and I gave him the times and all that. My point is, is that those were a lot of seeds to even get to that point, right? So... We're seed sowers, and words from the Lord sometimes are really simple. Like, you know, I see something in your life, and I just want to encourage you that there's just a light in your life, and I, I don't know if you're a believer in God or anything like that, but I see like God's do, doing something in your life at this time. He's, something's coming alive in you. We want to go so quickly to, with non-Christians to uh, Christianese. I mean, I'll drop some Christianese, and I, I want to lead people to Christ. I mean, that's my heart. But I'm, I know how to talk to a non-believer, and I know how to talk to a believer. There's a different way you talk to them. I know how to talk to a Muslim, talk to a Buddhist, a Hindu. There's different conversations that you have. 
my point is, is that if we want to grow in the prophetic and we want to grow, which leads, I think the prophetic is, a, is an apologetic in, in itself. I really do because it causes people to encounter the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14, I think it's 32. It says that when an unbeliever comes in and people are prophesying, their heart is disclosed and they say, God surely is among you. Don't you want to live a kind of life where people around you say, God is with you? Well, part of the way that we do that is we learn how to prophesy. And it looks like you do. You say, well, Ben, I don't know if I can do that. You can talk. And it won't sound like me, it'll sound like you, because God wants to use you and, and me. So if you haven't ever done that outside of the church, you can start tomorrow. You start by observing, you start by engaging, you start by sharing, you start by asking the Lord, and then you step out and do it simply. Don't make it complicated, just don't. And the more we do it, the more we share the, what God puts in our heart for people simply, the more it will flow. It, it, it starts with a trickle, but rivers of living water, they, they, the dam's got to get busted. You know what I mean? It's been holding back. There's this dam that's built up that's holding back this water. And it, it's, it's like we come to church and we let it get filled up. The reservoir gets filled up. It gets filled up, but it doesn't flow out. You know, a reservoir contains water so that it can irrigate a community. But what happens to the reservoir that fills up but that never flows out. It's just a container of water walking around. What a strange idea that is, that we're all containers of water walking around with the ability to irrigate dry land. So we've got to learn how to break the dam and let it start flowing out a little bit. And it looks a little pitiful at first. It's like, well, that was no good. You're right. But then when the water starts to flow, I'll tell you this, people their thirst comes out. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for prophecy. We thank you for everything that you give. Lord, we just want to be hungry. And I pray and I prophesy a hunger for the things of the Holy Spirit. I ask you for it, Lord. We pray for it. We, we know it's your will. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. We want that. Why? Lord, we want that to reveal the risen Christ. We want that to build up the body of Christ. We want that because of 1 Corinthians 14 says that it reveals you are among us. We want that. And so I just say, I want that, Lord, and I want that for our church. I want us to be naturally supernatural, and I pray that we could take steps into all that that means. We don't have to be strange, weird, or like anybody else, but we can be naturally supernatural and we can flow in the Spirit. So we pray that you would break the, that dam, that, that, that the trickle would become rivers of living water, release the rivers of living water in our lives so that we can give away what you give to us. So as we ask for you to sh- show us and share with us words for others, we also commit ourselves to sharing those things and not holding back. No matter what the response is, no matter what happens as a result of it, We commit ourselves to the process in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. 
While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.